www.sbsradio.net, around the world and on satellite. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Keys to the Kingdom. I'm Brother Paul. I'm from Wisconsin, and I'm going to be sitting in for Brother Gregory today, who is in Omaha, Nebraska, and just had to be on the road to get his stuff together for their presentation later in the day. Unfortunately, he just called me and told me this about two minutes ago, and that's why I'm late getting on here. And I can't hear any feedback. I missed the intro, so... I'm not even sure I'm on the air, but I will uh, I will be with you today and presume I'm on the, on the air, and thank you for listening. He said there would only be about ten listeners this morning because everybody's uh, involved in the show, but uh, I think there may be more. Um, anyway, as I said, I'm Brother Paul. I'm out of Wisconsin. Um, it's a kind of drizzly day here this morning. It's above freezing. That's a good sign, and we're all excited. A lot of people went down to to Omaha, Nebraska to listen to Gregory. People from North Carolina, I'm sorry, North Dakota, South Dakota, um, naturally from Nebraska and Iowa are there gathering today. So I'm looking forward to hearing about how good a turnout they had and what they were able to speak about today. Um, I'm kind of at a loss to talk to you, what to talk to you about, so I'm going to do the the lame thing and, and just start reading to you. What I'm looking at here is uh, Brother Gregory's book, The Higher Liberty. And it starts out with Romans 13. That's kind of the crux of what, uh, where we start to see things diverging in, in the Bible and what we like to stress as far as the difference between what Christianity today is talking about with obeying government and what Paul was really talking about in Romans 13. So I'm a little out of breath. So I'm running around to gather stuff together. But here we go. I'm going to read from the page 1, Romans 13. What Paul was attempting to say in his epistle to the Romans, or what was Paul attempting to say? In the King James Version of the Bible, in chapter, thing, chapter 13 begins, Let every soul be subject unto the higher powers, for there is no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God. A common interpretation of this verse appears in the Living Bible. Obey the government, for God is the one who has put it there. There is no government anywhere that God has not placed in power. So those who refuse to obey the laws of the land are refusing to obey God, and punishment will follow. Romans 13, 1-3 You cannot blame all governments on God any more than you can blame sin on God. The first thing God did was to give man rights to choose. That's the highest power. Sorry, I'm editorializing. And the responsibility of suffering the consequences. When when it is not the right to sin, while it is not the right to sin, we have the right to choose to sin. Cain chose to go out of the presence of God and create the first city-state. Was he 
what did he what he did was wrong but he had the right to make that choice the nature of government we the nature of the government we create is a product of what we are and our souls are formed in the character of the government we choose to serve governments are created by men not by god god allows men the power right or liberty to create government but not with impunity there are many forms of government that are in opposition to god man must go out of the presence of god rejecting him to create those governments they are formed in the image and character of satan who is the adversary of god even those governments may serve god's purpose by punishing the wicked who form them even god forbids man from making covenants with those governments or bowing down or serving them now this book that i'm reading from the higher liberty is a neat little book and it's it's nice because it's broken down it into one or two page subjects that we can uh, pick and choose from if we're trying to answer someone's questions so that was page one page two is about social contracts social contracts make use of at least two legal concepts or structures one can be called a trust and the other called a corporation governments cannot exist unless men create them man may vest something of ourselves into the forming of that government as god formed man and breathed life into him so may men form and breathe life into governments or we may also give something of value to men we trust for a particular purpose whereby the government becomes a trust if what we give is given entirely it may be called a sacred purpose trust or government may make use of both trust and corporations the most common form of government used throughout history is not the centralized governments of control and top-down authority so commonly seen today a diversified and voluntary network of people bound by a common faith mutual hope and practice charity has often formed successful governments throughout history in fact our modern reliance on government to make law and establish order has not been the historical norm voluntary governments like that of israel before the rise of the kings depended on the people freely choosing to give a share of their wealth in sacrifice or what was called korban to fulfill the needs of society that which was given in the form of substance and service sustained the government of the people with the offering by the people for the sake of a free people if jesus talks about an unrighteous mammon is there a righteous mammon the aramaic aramaic word for entrusted wealth is called mammon that which was freely given was righteous <clears throat> god gave man the right to choose he has delivered man from bondage and wanted him and warned him about going under the authority of others it is essential to the plan and purpose of satan the adversary to deceive people he does this by telling us part of the truth while deceiving us to i'm sorry deluding us to believe a lie the cunning use of sophistry and his ability to tempt us to act selfishly in our own interest has been his recorded modus operandi our modern misunderstanding of romans 13 seems to hinge on one word of the text powers dunamis dunamai didamai arche iscus kratos energies are all translated in the new testament as power but have decidedly different meanings than the word that appears in romans 13 the original greek word is exousia it is from two greeks words ex meaning of and from while usia means what one has property possessions estate exousia is defined power of choice liberty of doing as what pleases is paul telling us to go under government authority or to remain at liberty what would happen if we translated exousia in romans 13 into the english word liberty as we see in corinthians 8:9 let every soul be subject unto the higher liberty for there is no liberty but of god the liberties that are ordained of god whosoever therefore resisteth the liberty resisteth an ordinance of god and they that resist acting against oneself i'm sorry set oneself against shall re 
save to them damnation. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Wilt thou then not be afraid of the liberty? Do that which is good, and thou shalt have praise in, of the name. That's Romans 13, 1-3 as well. Can this be true? Could so many people have been a part of such a bold deception? The word exousia is transla- translated right in Hebrews 13.10, Revelation 22.14, and is translated as liberty in 1 Corinthians 8.9. To claim that Paul is actually saying that we should be at liberty to obey God rather than to be subject to the will of other men is a bold accusation against the doctrines of modern Christendom. Has the church been steadily deceived by either negligence or design, arrogance or ignorance? A theme throughout the Bible has been to set men free, so we should be willing to examine how the word exousia was used by the Greeks and the authors of those sacred texts in the days of Christ. Although the use of words changes over time, the Greek glossary of Aristotle Aristotelian terms states that exousia means right. Aristotle actually exemplifies exousia's use in the statement, the right exousia, to do anything one wishes. The rights or privileges of governments are ordained of men. That ordination of power into the hands of the governments almost always occurs when the people reject God and choose to go away from his ways and out of his presence. Since we are endowed by our Creator with certain inalienable rights, it makes sense to say that our original right to choose is ordained of God. Since man is a creation of God and governments are a creation of men, the power maintained by those governments is based on the consent or actions of men, not upon any appointment by God. In Plato's notes, the Greek words for freedom are Eleutheros, liberal free, exousia, freedom, power to do something. While Plato and Aristotle's definition of the word exousia was from classical Greek period, their opinion was still in conformity with the second century A.D. cynic philosopher Enamios. Aldo Brancacci examines the definition of freedom in his Liberty, Liberty E fato en enamo de Gadara. In Bryn Mawr's classical review, we see that Brancacci notices the term used by enamos refers to human freedom is not typical cynic one, eleuthera, but exousia, which expresses the new concept of freedom in opposition to already defunct and unhelpful eleutheria. Enamos, sometimes written onamos, writings were preserved by Eusebius. For at least five centuries, the word exousia consistently referenced human liberty and freedom. Are we supposed to believe that Paul is telling us to give up our freedoms and liberty and become subject once again, or have we already? God sent Abraham, Moses, Joshua, Samson, Gideon, and a host of others to set us free in truth. We were to be free souls under God, created by God, having no other gods before him. Are we supposed to believe that Jesus was only going to set us free spiritually and leave us in physical bondage? It seems a slave mentality to believe that we can only be free at last, free at last, when we are dead. If the Son, therefore, shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. That's from John 8.36. It is our prayer that the truth of this will become self-evident. Okay, well, this is uh, directly relating to, relating to what Gregory was talking about earlier in Blog Talk Radio, um, that we're constantly barraged by even the, the Christian ministers today that uh, we should go to the governments of this world when we, have, when we are in need, but come to them so we can wave our arms and sing songs and make ourselves feel happy make ourselves feel saved. It's a delusion. I'm going to advance a little bit to a chapter called No King But Caesar. If we are to understand the fullness of God, fullness of the gospel, we should know that it is first the gospel of the kingdom. And Jesus went about all Galilee, 
teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom. Matthew 4.23 Modern preachers and scholars who have seduced them have removed the kingdom from the gospels and turned the hearts of the people to impure religion. It is time that voices from that the wilderness again call for repentance and making straight the way of the Lord. The Pharisees were scholars and the majority of the Pharisees voted to kill Christ, their rightful king. They chose to have no king but Caesar. But thank heaven the truth is not dependent upon democracies or scholars. The modern Christian with a watered-down gospel of misguided leaders have arranged a world system, a mystery Babylon, where their ministers teach the people to sing in their churches, praising Christ the King, but send the people to pray for their daily bread and benefits to men of the world who call themselves benefactors but exercise authority over the, the other, the rest of the week. This is all provided at the expense of their neighbor. The people do take a bite out of their neighbor, devouring one another. They wave their hands on Sunday and give lip service to God, but the rest of the week they covet their neighbor's goods through their schemes of government. From the beginning, we were told to make no covenant with the inhabitants where we go, nor with their gods, or we would have to bow down and serve them. Even Jesus told us not to swear at all and to only pray to our Father in heaven for our daily bread. Applying to Pharaoh for their daily bread brought the Israelites into bondage. God led the people out of that bondage and told them never to return that way. God even told the people if they chose a ruler, they were to write in their constitution that he could never do anything that would return them to the bondage of Egypt. Common sense would require us to ask why Paul would be telling the people to remain in an Egyptian-style government rather than free with Christ. Remember, Christ was king, born a king, preached a kingdom, told us to do the same. He was hailed as king. He came to take the kingdom away from those who ruled over the people. Those rulers had taken away their liberties, put heavy burdens on them, and through their system of social security had made the word of God to none effect. Since freeing people in spirit and truth and living by faith has always been the mission of the prophets of God, it seems clear that Paul was saying that we should remain subject to liberty and the right to choose endowed by God. Paul understood that the perfect law of liberty to oppose liberty is to oppose the will of God for men. Yet many ministers and the people have a difficulty seeing the simple and specific meaning of the word exousia in the context of the Bible. This is because it overthrows many of the preconceived notions, doctrines, and even some errant theology which they have become so comfortable with over the years. As we may use the word right or liberty in Romans 13, Christians, and especially their ministers, will have to begin to examine the gospel in a new light of understanding and accept the truth that they have been under a strong delusion about the gospel of the kingdom and the message of Christ. We may agree that governments sometimes possess the right to make choices for persons that in a moral in a more natural state would belong exclusively to the individual free man, but governments are not granted the right to choose for others by God, rather by the men who create these governments. In order to obtain that right to rule over men, governments would have to rely on some operation of pre-existing law. That fundamental law is often called natural law. (coughs) Excuse me. Next page starts, Republics. Are men property of the state, or are they free souls under God? The same battle continues throughout the world. That's a quote from Cecil B. DeMille's The Ten Commandments, which uh, is really quite... uh, Profound, if you think about it, I'm going to repeat it. Are men the property of the state, or are they free souls under God? This same battle continues throughout the world. Some scholars regard the ancient confederation of Hebrew tribes that endured in Palestine from the 15th century B.C. until a monarchy was established about 1020 B.C. as an embryonic republic that would make the ancient Israelite commonwealth the earliest republic in history 
and one of the oldest democracies, except for slaves and women. All members of the of the community had a voice in the selection of their administrators and were eligible for political office. Those who held the office were the elders of each family, and they exercised the power of the state autonomously within the sacred nature of the divine union of husband and wife, the first corporation. No new laws were made, but the law was administered through the courts of the congregations with the congregations of Levites administering the appeals through the cities of refuge. The Levites administered charity and mercy, but they had no exercising authority over the choices of the people, nor their liberty. They only had control over what they were given in sacrifice. And that's an important concept. I'm going to break from reading for a second here. As a member of a congregation, or in in ancient Israel as a member of the community under administration uh, of the Levites, you retained all your rights. The only thing you gave up is what you decided to give as charity, give as an offering. Sometimes they call it burnt offerings or sin offerings or way you offer. They have a lot of different names that show up in the Bible. But uh, nobody came to your door, broke it down so that you could give. And telling you this is what you have to give. You were responsible. And uh, you also had the right to choose who your minister was. If your minister was not um, using the gifts you gave him in a biblical manner, that's an interesting word, in a righteous manner, then you could choose to give your gifts to someone else. And that kept the best servants in that position back to reading. The leaders were chosen by ten in congregation, bound together by love and charity. There was no power to take the first fruits of their labor, draft their sons and daughters, nor compel taxes. The people remained free souls under God. They remained at liberty as long as they loved God and one another. The people held the power of the state individually and independently from the administration of government. The definition of republic is a commonwealth that form of government in which the administration of affairs is open to all citizens, in another sense, signifies the state independently of its government. That's from Black's Law. <clears throat> a pure republic, the United States shall guarantee to every state in the Union a republican form of government. That's from the Constitution. The term republic, res publica, signifies the state independently of its form of government. That's from Bobier's Law Dictionary. A pure republic allows the people the power of choice. They may retain their right to choose or waive it for what they believe is profitable for gain. People change and governments change. It has been said all roads lead to Rome, but if we turn around, all roads lead to the kingdom of God. It is all about which direction you want to choose to go, which path you choose to take. Because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way, which leadeth unto life, and few that be there that find it. That's Matthew 7:14. one of my favorite quotes. The United States is a democracy within the original republic, and it has changed as its citizenry changes. Relationships have been altered by choice and consent. The dreams and desires of the people, they become a nightmare before those who slumber awake. The term republic in its pure form comes from the words libera res publica, or free from things public. Early Rome was this free from things public. As it started to degrade and people became more slothful, it just, uh, they dropped the libra part and became res publica or res public. They still call Rome republic today.
I pledge allegiance to the King of Kings and to His kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. One holy nation and our heavenly Father, great mercy, justice for all. Gold and silver is tremendously undervalued. Global demand vastly exceeds mine supply by more than 60% annually. There is little in the financial world more certain than a coming explosion in the prices of gold and silver. The U.S. dollar continues to lose value and respect as the world's reserve currency. Our nation faces challenges on many fronts and a day doesn't pass without another economist bringing forth warnings of impending economic calamity. There has never been a better time than right now to acquire physical gold and silver. Discount Gold and Silver Trading was founded on the principles of truth and honesty. We believe in providing a quality product, quality service, and most importantly, competitive pricing. We provide all forms of precious metals, including American gold, silver, platinum, and rare investment and circulated coins. Silver bars, rounds, and 90% silver bags are on hand for the silver investor. Gold self-directed IRAs are available. Call Discount Gold and Silver Trading at 1-800-375-4188. Toll free, that's 1-800-375-4188. If you read the history books, the most often asked questions of Southerners was this, why did you fight? And the most often given answer is, because you're here. In other words, the South did not invade the North, the North invaded the South. Was it the Civil War or War of Federal Aggression? John Weaver sets the record straight in this DVD series on the Civil War from the Old Past Christian History Conference. Was there a war to set the slaves free? Or was it a war to enslave us all? Get this DVD and judge for yourself. War of Federal Aggression. Get this DVD presentation for a donation of $25 from FirstAmendmentRadio.com. Order online today at FirstAmendmentRadio.com. Call 559-781-3773. The truth seems strange only because we've been indoctrinated with a fiction. War of Federal Aggression. Get it today. You are listening to the Worldwide First Amendment Radio Network. We do not have freedom of speech because the Constitution gives it to us. The Constitutional Amendment was written to keep the government from taking our freedom away. The Creator gave us our rights, but He also gives us the capacity to do evil or usurp the rights of others. Our individual rights end where the rights of another begin. No one has the right to do evil because evil can never be right. Those who would seek to limit your right to speak or hear the truth are the same who seek to subjugate, control, and enslave you. Freedom is not free. Support the Worldwide First Amendment Radio Network by going to firstamendmentradio.com on the Internet and following the instructions there to support us. Thank you for listening. Welcome back to Keys to the Kingdom. I'm Brother Paul from Wisconsin, and I'm taking Gregory's place while he is on the tour across America. We call it the Whirlwind Tour, and that's because we're stirring things up around the country. Where uh, Brother Gregory started in Oregon, he made his way to Denver last weekend, and this weekend he's in, in Omaha, in the Omaha area, with uh, Scott Hostetter, who is a minister of record in the Omaha area of his church at Les Hills. And uh, I wish I could be there. It sounds like it's going to be an exciting, uh, exciting gathering. There's people making the trek all the way from North Dakota and South Dakota and a number, of course, from the local areas of Nebraska and Iowa, and maybe even some people from the southern part. So uh, from next week after Omaha, Brother Gregory will be in the Dallas area. And um, he'll do some Dallas and Fort Worth. I think he's going towards Austin. I'm not sure exactly what stops are in there, but uh, you can find out by going to hisholychurch.net slash tour and uh, checking out what's on the website. We have the entire schedule after Dallas. He heads to the Carolinas with Brother Jeffrey <clears throat> and Brother Kendall, both in the Carolinas. Then he'll head up along the east coast. I think he's going to get down to Georgia and Florida, perhaps. Um, I haven't seen if those stops have developed or not. But he'll head up along the east coast to New York area and Boston, and then over to Pennsylvania, coming through northern Indiana, 
and meet with some of the Michigan people, then to Milwaukee, Wisconsin, where we'll have gatherings, <clears throat> and uh, some of the Indiana folk will be gathering that uh, weekend as well. I should I should say Illinois. The group is called Indiana, but a number of the people are from Rockford, Illinois. And then he'll go up to Minneapolis, Minnesota, over to North Dakota, and then he'll be heading home from there. That's the current plan. It changes daily as uh, new people want to get Brother Gregory to come see them along the route, and we can zigzag that route to a little bit out of the out of the path to hopefully reach you. So get on the network. Um, we encourage you to go to hisholychurch.org and click on the little guy throwing the net and discover where things are happening with His Holy Church across the nation and across the world. Um, as I said, I'm filling in kind of last minute today. I didn't have any time to come up with a topic, so I grabbed one of Brother Gregory's handy-dandy books, and I'm just reading what it says in there. I mean, I can't state it much better than what has already been written. <coughs> um, Brother Gregory actually has written f- five books so far, the first being the covenant of the covenants of the gods. The second was Thy Kingdom Comes. The third is called the Free Church Report, and that gives us uh, a lot of structure of how the early church works worked, and how we can re-implement that in today's world. The fourth book, which is the one I'm using today to read to you from, is called The Higher Liberty, and the fifth one is a small book called contracts, covenants, and constitutions. It may be that those three words in that order, or they may get mixed up. Sometimes uh, they're interchangeable. And he's working on at least two others that I know of. I don't think uh, they may be stalled while he travels across the country, but they're in definitely in the works. So we were reading from the Higher Liberty, the fourth book, and we've come across a page, page 14, that's called Democracy. <clears throat> Somewhere along the way, some people began to believe that we collectively had the right to decide what was good and evil, not only for ourselves, but for our neighbor as well. We call it democracy. In early America, the success and prosperity of the people was, no doubt in part, due to the fact that the churches in New England were so many nurseries of freedom, training them in the principles of self-government and accustoming them to the feeling of independence. In these petty organizations were developed in practice the principles of individual and national freedom. Each church was a republic in embryo. The fiction became fact, the abstraction a reality. And that's a quote from Lives of Isaac and Yeah, Lives of Isaac Heath and John Bowles, the elders of the church of John elders of the church and of John Elliot Jr. a preacher in the mid 1600s anyhow Americans have moved from a virtuous self-reliant republic to a covetous democracy in a republic this process are done more by contract application and participation than by vote the people have become a nation of consumers who willingly bite their neighbors for their personal security. People have fallen in love with the benefits offered by democracy. James Madison Madison in in 1787 stated in the Federalist Paper Number 10 that democracy is the most vile form of government. Democracies have ever been spectacles of turbulence and contention, have ever been found incompatible with personal security or the rights of property, and have, in general, been as short in their lives as they have been violent in their deaths. Fisher Ames, an author of the First Amendment, said, A democracy is a volcano which conceals fiery materials of its own destruction. These will produce an eruption and carry desolation in their way. In 1815, John Adams said, Democracy, while at last is more bloody than either aristocracy or monarchy. Remember, democracy never lasts long. It soon wastes, exhausts, and murders itself. There's never a democracy that did not commit suicide. John Marshall, longest-serving Chief Justice of the Supreme Court, said, 
between a balanced republic and a democracy. The difference is like that between order and chaos. Even Alexander Hamilton, one of the more liberal founders, founding fathers, said, real liberty is never found in despotism or in the extremes of democracy. Benjamin Franklin warned emphatically that when the people find that they can vote themselves money, that will herald the end of the republic. <clears throat> he understood that democracy is two wolves and a lamb voting on what to have for dinner. Democracy, or liberty is a well-armed lamb contesting the vote. Long before these men voiced their objections, Plato postulated, dictatorship naturally rises out of democracy. And long after Adams, Rolf Waldo Emerson said, democracy is morose and runs to anarchy. Winston Churchill wrote, that socialism is a philosophy of failure, the creed of ignorance, and the gospel of envy. Its inherent virtue is equal sharing of misery. He went on to say that the best argument against democracy is a five-minute conversation with the average voter. More recently, historian and congressman Ron Paul said, Our country's fathers cherished liberty, not democracy. I did find that Karl Marx, who was an advocate of communism, claimed democracy is the road to socialism. It's difficult to understand how anyone who has read the proceedings of the Federal Convention can believe that it was the intention of that body to establish a democratic government. Accustomed to trampling on the rights of others, you have lost the genius of your own independence and become fit subjects for the first cunning tyrant who rises among you. Under a democratic government, the citizens exercise the powers of sovereignty, and these powers will be at first abused and afterwards lost as they are committed to an unwieldy multitude. Thou shalt not follow a multitude to do evil, neither shalt thou speak in a cause to decline after many so rest judgment. Exodus 23.2 A simple democracy is the devil's own government. These are all various quotes. You can find them if you subscribe or get the book, The Higher Liberty. Now, that's available. All our books are available to you free online. Uh, you do, all you got to do is go on org and join the Living Network. And there's a lot more value involved than just getting these books for free. Okay, they're available on the website themselves in HTML format. But uh, when, once you join the living network um, we have PDF copies that you can have right online you can print them out You can, like I said this book is made up of little short articles that you can take to that neighbor who has a, a little hang up on this or that and here's a, a pre-printed answer to their question hopefully uh, and the next part goes on to deception Caesar was right mankind is governed by the names and their definitions this was the definition of democracy back in 1928. Democracy, this, this is going to come from the 1928 Army Training Manual. Listen to this. Democracy is a government of the masses. Authority derived through the mass, through mass meeting or any form of direct expression results in mobocracy. Attitude toward property is communistic, negating property rights. Attitude toward law is the will of the majority shall regulate, whether it is based upon deliberation or governed by passion, prejudice, and impulse without restraint or regard for consequences. Regard, results in demagogism, license, agitation, discontent, and accuracy, and anarchy. So back in the 1928 Army Training Manual, democracy w was a bad thing. It was something that they were uh, definitely against. Now, by June 1952, the following definition was altering the understanding of the attitude of the American nation. This is the Army Field Soldier's Manual Guide in 1952. The meaning of democracy. Because the United States is a democracy, the majority of all the people decide how our government will be organized and run. That includes the Army, Navy, Air Force. The people do this by electing representatives and these men and women carry out the wishes of the people. Wow. Uh, 22 years and the whole 
take of the army had changed and how they felt about democracy. Changing definitions deceives the people. The multitude of those who err is no protection for error. If you establish a democracy, you must in due time reap the fruits of a democracy with great increase of the public expenditure. <clears throat> you will in due season have wars entered into from passion and not from reason. What does that sound like? And you will in due season submit to peace, ignominiously obtained, which will diminish your authority and perhaps endanger your independence. You will in due season find your property is less valuable and your freedom less complete. You see in any of this today? Ben Franklin advised that a nation of well-informed men who have been taught to know and prize the rights which God has given them cannot be enslaved. It is the region of ignorance that tyranny begins. Those rights depend upon valuing one, our neighbor's rights as much as we value our own, which is virtue. Nothing is beyond re-examination. In a constitutional republic, you might have some safeguards but Patrick Henry argued against the Constitution of the United States because he saw that when evil men take office, the whole gang will be in collusion. They will keep the people in utter ignorance and steal their liberty by ambuscade. <laughs> Do we understand those flaws, and are we prepared to guard against them? It was not the Constitution that made this nation great, but the noble individuals who rose up every day worked in the fields and factories, cared for their families, and provided for the honest needs of their community. James Russell Lowell said, Democracy gives every man the right to be his own oppressor, and he begins this process by oppressing his neighbors. Can, liberties, can the liberties of a nation be thought secure when we have removed their only firm basis, a conviction in the minds of the people? that these liberties are a gift of God, that they are not to be violated, but with his wrath. Democracy has no inherent rights to the rights of others. We relinquish, we relinquish rights by consent for mutual benefits. I often wonder whether we do not rest our hopes in too much, too much upon the constitutions, upon laws, on courts. These are false hopes. Believe me, these are false hopes. Liberty lies in the hearts of men and women. When it dies, there's no constitution, no law, no court can save it. <clears throat> Church and state. True Christians existed in an extensive network of faith throughout Europe and even the Far East for centuries after Christ, while apostasy courted a dying breed of despots and tyrants. Their names, history, and blood were stamped or poured out during the years of sanguinous church reform and inquisitions. Groups seeking to be genuine Christians were to be found in every century from the Mont Montanus, Novatians, and to the Vaudois, Waldenses, or Albigenes, about the 13th century. Their doctrines were varied but their common ground was in resistance to the doctrines and tyranny which marked them for persecution. While their heresies will be debated until the end of time, there can be no doubt as to the heresy of those who held their feet to the fire and the sword to their throat. <laughs> Moses and Abraham before him had set up a system of self-government that could be called truly republican in nature. There was no king to exercise authority, <clears throat> and the family was the supreme institution of God. Those families eventually owned the beneficial interest of their labor and the land they occupied. They banded together in congregations bound only by faith, hope, and charity under the perfect law of liberty. They were free. Their laws were administered through a network of tens, hundreds, and thousands. Since there was no king, the state remained in the hands of the people. As a free people, there was no body to make laws, sign treaties, compel conscriptions, or impose taxes. Both Abraham and Moses, according to the direction of God, provided an additional element to this free government. Abraham had his altars, and Moses called out the Levites to be the firstborn of the nation. These are actually the same things, as you'll find out. 
This system did not affect the autonomy of the people, nor the power of the firstborn of each family. The Levites belonged to God as his bondservants. Their purpose was at least twofold. First, it was to establish a local and national system of charity that would bind the people together in common faith and trust. And second, it was to give them a standing amongst the nations without diminishing individual rights. That is the purpose of a pure republic. The resources to maintain the welfare of society were freely given to the ministers of that society. They were completely given to the Levites of cho- Levite of choice who used them to care for the widows, orphans, and needy of a society in the form of pure religion as living altars. Each congregation chose a titular leader. Then, in turn, they chose their titular leaders. This represented a pattern like a na- this repeated pattern linked a nation through a system of mutual caring and love. This takes a virtuous commitment and a spiritual awakening. This is the kingdom of God on earth while they were living. Sorry, I'm editorializing here. This union was consumed by marriage. I'm sorry, consummated by marriage between the families. But to maintain a broad union of families outside the local congregation, national feasts were instituted to bring families together. These marital unions amongst the villages and tribes continually strengthened the national bonds of community from all corners of the kingdom, with the feast playing a a practical part. Such systems only work amongst people of virtue who tend to the weightier matters of law, justice, mercy, mercy, and faith. It requires people who love their neighbor as much as they love themselves. But God was not... But God was not enough, and the voice of the people cried out for a ruler. They gave up some of their liberty and power of choice. They gave power to rulers who would no longer be titular. This rejection of God brought the people of the Republic under the authority of the monarch and others they elected to rule. This all comes from Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter 8. <clears throat> it's a sad story. Now what about the separation of church and state? The people retained their rights and the power of the state. A group was called out from the people to become separate, the Levites. Belonging to God, they were to have no personal estate. With a mission and a purpose, they became the church in the wilderness. The apostles were also called out to be bondservants of God by the appointment of Christ, to feed his sheep in faith hope and charity under the law of liberty they were to be in but not of the world and not like those other governments who exercised authority they were one form of government who lived and preached Christ they often did contrary to the decrees of Caesar because they had another king one Jesus as ambassadors of his government they were able to go through the gates of the world and were recognized by the governments of the world through Pilate's decree on the cross. A new form of Christianity began. Emperor Constantine became the Bishop of Bishops. This is where he's hijacking the church. His church began courting the courts of kings. Men exercising authority were accepting the privileges offered by those princes of power they sought to please. Those princes paid well for their blessings and benedictions. This marriage of church and state feigned an appearance of legitimacy and godliness. After centuries of book and heretic burnings, some survivors began to seek answers as to what Christ and the early church had really been doing. At the beginning of the 16th century, Republican churches were formed, and by their chosen representatives were united into a synod. But the temptations endured by Christ came upon men who had despised the authoritarian church. They took pride in their knowledge and private interpretation of scriptures and began creating diverse doctrines. By exercising of a new doctrinal authority, the people were divided into sectarian denominations. All doctrine of the church should be measured against the love of God, who is law, justice, mercy, and faith a giver of life, a forgiver of sins, and also 
our equal love for one another as Christ loved us. That should be it. That should be the doctrine. If Christ said it, that's the doctrine. Do we sacrifice ourselves and our pride and humility? Are we good Samaritans? Or a condescending, sanctimonious religious sect devoid of charity and forgiveness in Christ? Are we true benefactors or do we pray to men who call themselves benefactors but exercise authority over the other and divided from Christ? Christ said, if you love me, keep my commandments. John 14:15. We should forgive and not oppress our neighbor. We should live by charity and not covet our neighbor's goods through the power of social democracies or worse. We should not say, Lord, Lord, in our churches and then pray to the fathers upon the earth. We have now shown from the New Testament that in the plurality and equality of the chosen offices, officers, as well as by their constitution, the primitive Christian churches were republics. Men have abandoned the precepts of liberty in the church and in the state and chosen to take from their neighbors, exercising authority, but call, cause, but call themselves free when they love not freedom or its charitable benefaction as much as they love the benefits of sin. Through covetousness shall they with feigned words make merchandise of you whose judgment now of a long time lingereth not and their damnation slumbereth not 2 Peter 2 3 I'm going to stop there as we're running low on time I sure appreciate you if you stuck with me this long in the show Um, again a reminder we're doing our whirlwind tour Brother Gregory's crossing the nation and he's coming to a city near you if this interests you if this your heart is leading you this way the spirit has opened your mind and uh, you can hear the things that we're talking about or want to learn more go to the website hisholychurch.org slash tour check out the tour and where it's going he's coming to a city near you make a little trip come hear what Gregory has to say Um, we're forming congregations all over the country this uh, is catching on people are waking up there's a revival happening perhaps you are going to be a part of it you know seek this out in prayer don't accept what I'm saying because I read it from a book or what Gregory says just because it's there I mean ask ask this Holy Spirit look for confirmation you know pray pray to that the spirit that's inside every one of us um, pray to Christ thank God have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net.